Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Andrew Sampson. Andrew is the co-founder and CEO of Rainway, leading the way in building a best-in-class game streaming technology. Rainway's mission is to unleash the future of computing, collaboration, productivity, and development by using real-time interactive streaming to change the way that desktop software is built and distributed. Andrew is an experienced software engineer, a 2018 Teal Fellowship alumni, and has been featured on Forbes 30 Under 30. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I think you are like the youngest. And the 30 under 30, I remember being like 24 and being like, I want that. And then I wanted 40 under 40 and I'm almost 50. I'm like, is there a 50 under 50? <laughs> <laughs> Can I get that? That's so yeah. funny. That's, that's an honor. I want to get into that. Okay. But first we're going to start with some rapid fire. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. So given that you're in like the gaming world, I literally know nothing about it, but um, I'm just super curious. What's your favorite do, do game and what's your favorite game to play in the market? <laughs> Uh, usually I tattoo them on me. I don't know if people can like actually see my camera, but my favorite game is Nier uh, Automata. Super good. Um, have Kingdom Hearts tattooed on my upper arm. Play that one for hours. It's coming out on PC in March. So I'm going to relive through that entire series for basically a whole month to get no work done. Wow. That's so impressive that you're this into it. Like the passion is like palpable. Like when you start getting tattoos, you know, it's real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. What's your all-time favorite cuisine? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, something that I came up with to impress dates called shrimp and grits. Can you get that in Seattle? Finding grits in Seattle is hard. Last yeah. time I, the last time I got grits here, I had to like walk to a bunch of different corner stores before I found one owned by a black person that actually had them. We might have to start that as our like side gig. I know nothing. I mean, I, I don't know anything about the food industry, but there's a, there's a gap in the market, right? Cajun food in the, on the West coast is just lacking. I know. I know. Um, what superpower would you have if your options were just limitless? Whew. Eight hours of sleep. <laughs> just to be able to, without getting the sleep, but the feeling of eight hours of sleep. Just being able to like turn it on in an instant and then getting back to work. Yeah. Are you, do you have insomnia? No, just late nights. Like every other yeah. startup founder, sometimes you yeah. got to stay up till 4am because that's the only way it's going to get done. Yeah. Nobody can see my face, but I'm kind of giving air quotes of like startup founder air quotes. It's more like you're gaming till 4am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I know you're, you're working your tail off. Hey, okay. Hey, I get paid to play video games. <laughs> I know it's a pretty good gig. Um, okay. Mountains or water? Whew. Water ocean yeah okay and uh well this is this actually goes with our last little theme are you late to bed or early to rise Ooh, i am late to bed yeah me too yeah all right well if, if you're up working i'm always like that too i'm like 
I get this weird energizer bunny thing at like 10 p.m. I'm like, this is when I'm supposed to get sleepy. It's not, yeah, not these, good. Those, those, my twilight hours when I get my most work done. During the day, it's just emails, calls, and it's hard to actually focus. Yeah, totally. Um, is there an app that you can't live without? These days, it's Signal. <laughs> Having all my friends move to it has been just really convenient for me. Yeah, better than WhatsApp. Better than WhatsApp, and because some of my friends, you know, haven't joined this sort of Apple cult, that's the only way I can message them on my computer because they don't have iMessage. Yeah, I know we have, I'm in a group of business owners and like all of us are on just like um, on text, except for one doesn't have Apple. So we're like, okay, I mean, we might have to go into Signal. Um, okay, what are three words that describe your leadership style? Uh, I would hope people would say, um, kind, patient, and um, thoughtful. Nice. Those are good ones. Um, okay. So tell me, are you, are you originally from Atlanta? I know that you moved the business out here from Atlanta, but where did you grow up? I grew up in a, so I tell everyone I grew up in Atlanta because it's the only city in Georgia people know, but yeah. I grew up 50, 60 minutes outside of Georgia, sorry, outside of Atlanta in a small town called um, Carrollton, which is basically right near the border of Alabama. So you've never heard of it before. It's just known for its arrest records. <laughs> yeah. I've been, I've been to Atlanta, um, but I haven't really spent much time at all in the South. Like, tell me about growing up in the South. Uh, I mean, hard, uh, growing up, you know, dealing with racism, dealing with being homeless, like, and dealing with sort of a climate. Wait, you were homeless? Yeah, during the 2008 recession, um, my family ended up losing their home, and it, the situation just ended up with me, you know, couch surfing and living with family friends, and actually just my friends, and sleeping out of a car, um, in, in motels for a good six to eight months, um, and so like that was a whole year of my life where I was just homeless, and um, pl that plus you know the climate of the South, the Deep South at the time was just incredibly hateful, and still is to this day. Um, it was a rough childhood. Oh my God, that's so scary. So tell me about your parents. Are they, um, first of all, are they well and alive and still in uh, Georgia? Uh, my dad lives in Georgia. My mom lives in Florida. So, you know, but they've basically never left the uh, East Coast. Yeah, I get that. It's like in the blood, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so you were raised, they chose to raise you there. Are you an only child or you've got siblings? I have five sisters. Five sisters? Yeah. Oh my God, you're going to make a great husband one day or not. Or you could be like, oh my God, I cannot hear another like female energy. Right now um, I'm, a, I'm the best uncle because I, because the trend is now repeating within that extended family where my, I think my sisters now have collectively like eight, 10 nieces and wow. basically two boys. <laughs> oh my gosh. So who were um, kind of some of the adult influences in your life who played kind of significant roles? Oh, uh, Honestly, I didn't get most of my sort of like mentors until I was probably into my um, early adulthood already. Uh, I would say early sort of the, the people that helped shape me and push me in the direction I needed to go or the, th the cliche things, football coaches, teachers, um, folks that just really, you know, took a moment to go, oh, like this kid is really suffering right now and like needs mm -hmm. a needs a helping hand just needs some kind words because mm -hmm. um, you know when you're going through all that like you build up a lot of angst you build up a lot of resentment there's a chip on your shoulder and the people sure. that were kind enough to just you know stop and say like listen i get it how can i help those are the folks that i, I remember to this day
Mm -hmm. So I think that that's an interesting point, but I also think that clearly you're really smart. And so was there someone that was kind of telling you that message or were you aware that you were um, kind of smart and driven? I think everyone around me like noticed that I sort of had something in my eyes for more and I was hungry and I wanted to go, I wanted to go chase down my own opportunities, but really it was all like me late, like spending tons of time at the library, spending a lot of time online, finding niche communities where I could sort of hone my skills. And those like communities that I would end up joining or those folks that it would sort of help me with like learning how to program are really the ones that encouraged me um, to keep going and, and sort of like took me under their wing. Yeah. And so your friends from like, you know, middle school years, what would they say about you if they kind of, I don't know if you're still in touch with them, um, but what would they say? Like, hey, this was the kid that, what? Um, <laughs> some, I guess, would be pleasantly shocked because, you know, going from the kid that barely showed up to class to the CEO of a, like a startup that is now pretty well known is um, I guess a fun transition, but actually most of my friends from childhood, I met on the internet, right? Because like, that's where I spent most of my time growing up. And some of them today are actually startup founders and they're like running companies that have raised like series A and series B. So we all made it. <laughs> that's super, super cool. And were you into school or was school kind of like a burden? And like, I just want to go kind of game well, just, and play football. Well, just because of my financial situation um, during this time, I had to drop out of high school my freshman year. So I didn't, I didn't really um, get the whole breadth of high school like other folks did. I just left. Um, and then I started focusing on building free open source software um, basically for the next like two years because I mm -hmm. wanted to really, really get really, really good at building consumer facing products. But I also wanted to do it for free and sort of just put it out there because I realized that that had more value than trying to charge for a product because I could build a lot of brand recognition for myself on a personal level and really just start to build trust within sort of the wider sort of developer and gaming community as well as the um, consumer community and it ended up working out pretty well. I made a couple of apps that got picked up a couple of um things that i sold like to folks that sounds just sort of passive income and um you know it helped me get to where i am today yeah and how did you even learn how to code did you teach yourself yeah so, so those niche communities that i was seeking out were communities focused around things like um you know, RuneScape, right? And like, you think, well, how does RuneScape, a video game, teach you how to program? Well, at the time, RuneScape was one of the most popular games on the internet, and it was written in Java, um, and everyone was trying to figure out how to hack it so they can get, like, free items and free stuff. And then, like, you know, when people realize, like, oh, that's really not that possible because things like encryption exists and security exists, uh, the next thing was, well, okay, well, how do we run our own RuneScape servers? And then that got me into, you know, server emulation or reverse engineering, and that, that whole community um, is where I met a lot of my friends that I'm still friends with today and we all sort of learned you know our trade well that's incredible so as far as school so you didn't finish high school and just started working yeah oh my gosh I, did, that's I, did, incredible. I, I got my GED that's the extent of my education I just walked in I took the test yeah and is that something that now you know in looking in your rearview mirror you can say like is almost like something that you're not that you're proud of, but like, look at me now. I'm almost wanting to have kids hear this because there's so much, and even myself, I'm just as guilty, like this kind of um, helicopter parenting of hovering, of focus, of destination, of what school you're going to get into that opens doors. And it's like, everybody's got a very different path. And the yeah. story that I'm hearing is a story of curiosity, a story of grit, 
a story of um, like perseverance more than like, oh, I better go to this school to open up these doors. I'm definitely a cautionary tale, right? Statistically, all things considered, I should be flipping burgers right now, right? Like I'm, I'm worrying because I was, I, I did have that grit and I was really hungry for something. But the reality is I got lucky because there are a lot of kids like me that probably had the same exact experience growing up and they didn't actually, you know, escape that environment that mm-hmm. they were in. Um, mm-hmm. Skipping out of school, not necessarily sort of like the path for everyone. I don't think I was ever going to be a good student, right? ADHD sort of like, defined that for me very early that, that that a constrained environment that has a lot of rigid rules was never going to be good for my brain because yeah. like, I can't focus for all things that for that long yeah um, imagine it being today in this zoom environments kids are really suffering imagine seven eight hours just staring at a screen and people don't learn that way you know yeah, it's just it's yeah. just not not even processing for them like i'm an incredibly visual learner and so for a lot of people i think school is important because like like areas like mathematics like i'm okay but i'm pretty sure if i like had went to school and got a formal education in like math i'd be a lot better mm-hmm. and where it ended up with your sisters have they pursued careers or are they in situations that are kind of more hourly rate um or hourly work yeah or- i mean I, I i would say like the rest of my family lives a very modest and <laughs> like normal life right like sometimes i'm jealous like they, like they are, they're people that have their own dreams and aspirations, like on a personal level, but you know, they work nine to five jobs and they're happy with that. And they shut it down. They're like, Oh, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, I guess, what were you fueled by when you were younger, as far as, you know, when you say I was jealous, sometimes people are like, Oh, if I can only get kind of to that next level and it's represented by financial means or it's represented by another level of kind of society, yours was just truly the passion of getting paid to do what you already love to do. I mean, retrospectively, now that I'm older, I I think that one of the things that really pushed me as a child was that I remember sitting in a public library one day and I was looking at like all this news of like these companies, because this is around time when like YouTube and Facebook and all these huge companies are just getting started, right? And they're like, they're getting all this momentum. And I just remember thinking to myself, why do none of these people look like me? right? It's all, it's just all white people or like, there's like a few Asian people sprinkled in, but like, I just remember saying like, I don't see any black tech CEOs or any black like tech founders that are like, built, like have, or like maybe it wasn't that they hadn't built these like businesses that were worth a lot of money, but clearly like the capital markets weren't giving them the sort of valuations and like promotion that they were giving everyone else. Uh, and but never, I, never have. And hopefully, hopefully, will. Will. hopefully yeah. there's a, mo- I feel that we're in a moment. It takes, you know, it's going to take time, but definitely this past year has been an eye opener, I think for many. Yeah. Um, and, and it, but for them, for me as a kid, just thinking, I just remember going, you know what? I don't want it. Like everyone's telling me I should play football. And like my path to like success is going to be like the NBA or like the NFL. But I'm like, I actually don't really like playing sports that much. I like watching them, but I don't really like playing them. Yeah. Um, and so I just remember saying, I want to build something. And that, that was like the, my internal monologue for still is today. Yeah. Well, you're doing it. So it's awesome. So you pursued this career in engineering. You've worked for, I, I went through your background. You've got so many different cool companies that you've um, worked at as a software development engineer. How did you make decisions along the way as far as where you were drawn? Was it always just the product or how much were you assessing the leadership, the culture? Um, like, how does an engineer think about that? Yeah, I would, I would say that most of the things that I've built weren't a company or like, it was just me going, oh, that's a neat idea. 
let's mm-hmm. build that. And then like building it, putting it out there and then moving on. Um, and so all of the, that, that, that early stage in my sort of like professional like, development career, I would always just find a problem that I was having myself. So if I was playing a video game and um, I like needed to be able to multitask, that's how I ended up creating one of my most popular tools, Borderless Gaming, that's still used by like, every streamer in the world and like has like 10 million plus act- daily active users. And I don't even touch it anymore. Like I haven't, I haven't written code for it in like five years. Um, and then there was like, just like, you know, one day I was sitting on my couch and I was like struggling to pick something on Netflix. So I made an app that let you pick something on Netflix randomly. I um, saw that, I love that. Yeah, and it's such a simple idea, but the thing that really got attention was that I did this right after Netflix shut off their API, and so everyone was like, "Oh, how, how do they do that? Like, how do they get all the data?" Yeah, um, and then I put and then I made it all, all that data open so other people could use my API to build off of it. And then Netflix reached out and offered me a job, and I turned them down. Went to go work at a, like a bit like a uh, big data company that was doing more interesting stuff, and then you know just always picking my opportunities for how I wanted to uh, sort of grow myself from there. Yeah. So all around, though, what you could build, not necessarily thinking um, of, oh, this might be a good choice for my career or, hey, this person could be a great mentor. Like people go through the whole job. So I've been recruiting for 26 years and I just think it's interesting to see how people approach um, building teams and also, you know, taking new opportunities, like what, what, what lens they're looking at it through. Um, And I do find when I'm advising clients, you know, sometimes I'm like, most of the engineers that we talk to, it's much more important to them to touch, feel something they can build than it is like the difference of, you know, the $10,000 offer here versus there. Yeah. And given I've only, besides, you know, my companies, I've only ever worked at one other startup. I've never had to really worry about those choices. It was always, that sounds cool. Let me go work on that. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And so um, tell me about... um, what role you think most, I mean, in those roles though, you've, have you been in the, uh, have you been experienced in building teams and like, you know, comfortable with the idea of having to deal with the noise of human beings? Yeah. So I, I, like, even back in those early days of my, my childhood running like a RuneScape private server, I built a team there. I had to build out a moderation team because we had like two, 3,000 plus players a day on our server. And like, that takes a lot of work to manage that. And we were processing payments because we were accepting donations <laughs> to keep the server operational. But those donations came with like a monthly membership. And so like, you know, we were building a game at that point and like people were actually paying us. And so like, we had to build out a whole team for support server time. And I was 13 at that point. <laughs> so like, 13. that was fun. Oh my God. Yeah, and so we were, wow. we, were pro- we were doing around, I think, like, it was like for a 13 year old making $10,000, $15,000 a month, not a bad thing, right? Not a bad thing at all. Yeah. So what, so what happens with these companies? And you've, you've had exits, or you just like keep them going? And I mean, for like the emergency private server, so it was illegal, right? You're not supposed to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so like, shut it down. And, you know, I remember the folks at Jagex sending me an email saying that, like, I still actually have this email, I like, I made sure to like start and save it forever them going you're an incredibly bright kid um and i'm th- I, th- I know that you're going to be doing amazing things in your life and like seeing that from one of the engineers at the company that i was trying to emulate was meant a, a lot to me oh um, yeah and so yeah it's always sort of been uh, that's a I framer guess. you got to frame that one I, I do i think i should put that on my wall uh, yeah i think it's a framer so um so tell our listeners about rainway i know um it's you spun it out of Techstars, right? Or you got into Techstars? Yeah. So this is a really fun story. Yeah. Um, 
so in 20 god i can't believe i'm saying 2016 seems so forever ago now uh, in 2016 i was coming off of a different startup that i was doing it was called oris it was like i was trying to build like a spotify clone um that ended up you know shutting down in sort of a foreseeable way and then i started working on a different project called ulterius which was a suite of like remote administration tools that were built into your browser um and it was just that we wanted to make it easier for offices and um sort of like large organizations to be able to access and manage computers from one place and I built a web-based screen sharing protocol for that because people needed to be able needed to be able to connect into the machine and actually interact with it. And there were no sort of protocols that did that, so I created one myself. Um, what we ended up seeing um, towards the end of 2016 was that no one cared at all about the remote administration tools or any of that other enterprise stuff. What they really cared about was the web-based screen sharing, um, and everyone was using it to play video games, right? Like there was this tie, I don't know what it was at the end of 2016, but everyone really had this sort of like urge to play in a more mobile way. And we had basically created that. So because of that enterprise stuff that we had built though, we met um, some folks that had licensed that technology for their startup. It was actually a company here in uh, Washington, Bloom API. Um, and they introduced us to Chris DeVore at Techstars, who then told us, like, we, we applied to Techstars for Altarius. Chris basically said, you don't seem that passionate about this idea, so, like, let me know where you're at in, like, another couple months. And then when we finally decided to pivot to Rainway, we came back, and he was like, absolutely, you're in. <laughs> oh, my God. I love Chris. He was actually on the podcast. That's a good one. He's, um, he's phenomenal. I love him. Yeah, I would say Chris was probably one of the most influential people in my career, um, really gave us an opportunity to escape the East Coast and come out West and take this crazy idea for the ride that it is on. Yeah. And how? tell me about your co-founder. Yeah, my co-founder uh, does not like the public light, so that's why people always are like, do you have a co-founder? Um, he's on the spectrum, so he's like, the less people that talk to him, the better. And he's an incredibly yeah. bright kid. We met on the internet um, I put a cryptography challenge out on a message board. Basically, it was, you know, just random. I was bored, but, the, you know, if you solve that challenge and you solve the puzzle, you got access to the super secret Slack group. Um, and so, like, that was the filter to then bring smart people directly into sort of my, my inner circle. And then I then, you know, made friends with some, and then I selected the one that I wanted to work on my next idea with. Oh, my God. I love that. And so, yeah, I was going to ask you, but you just answered it, like how you decide if you're both kind of engineers, like who's going to be the CEO and have to kind of deal with those tasks associated with that type of role. But you yeah. are kind of that unicorn in that way, because we deal with engineers a lot and, and it's more typical to be a little bit more introverted. And I don't know how you would describe yourself, but you definitely have an extroverted personality. I think most people will say like, oh, they're introverts pretending to be extroverts. So they're really good at masking. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I recharge when I'm alone. I'm not going to complain if I like have like a whole, you know, year <laughs> to stay inside by myself. Um, but I also, you know, love talking with folks and I love engaging. And so it's like, I, it, it, it depends on how I'm feeling. Yeah. You're an ambivert. And so yeah. tell me, tell me what the, what Rainway does today. Yeah, so what Rainway does today will be different than what we do tomorrow. There's like announcements that we were supposed to make, you know, sometime last week, but you know, things had to get pushed up. Yeah. Um, but what we well, do you today, can you can tell me on this podcast, and then we can push it out till you've announced it. 
Ah, that's a good call. <laughs> so what we do today is that we allow people to take all the video games that they own um, and they can stream them to any device. And so you install a little piece of software on your desktop computer and then, you know, you pull out your phone, hold it up to your screen and all your games just magically appear on it. Um, and so we try to build basically what amounted to a personal Netflix for games. Um, and where we're at sort of now is that the gaming service really got a lot of engagement during COVID and it was a really great time um, to be a gaming company. Like, right, more people were spending- oh, for sure. Games. COVID though really changed our view on how our technology can be applied because it wasn't just a need to, like there wasn't just a higher demand to play video games in a more accessible way everything needed to be more accessible right we needed to read like people were now are now trying to rethink workplace collaboration people are trying to rethink how they do like entertainment like there are so many different problems that can be solved by removing the need to have strong processing power on at least one end of sort of like a spectrum of devices and offloading it all to the cloud and then the streaming sort of applications to where you want them to go um that we said okay well listen like there's this huge problem that we're seeing in the market. People are reaching out to us constantly trying to see if they can like leverage our stuff. Let's just focus on that, right? Like there's a huge opportunity here for us as a business. And so we made the decision last year to sort of pivot to building um, Rainway into an enterprise SaaS company called Rainway App Services. Um, where we will make our tech, we will basically take all of the work that we've done over the years, we've encapsulated it into a uh, very easy to use SDK and a few APIs that you can then build sort of the next generation of desktop software with um, by just, you know, again, if you want to build like a cloud gaming service or you want to build out sort of like Figma, but for any piece of software, like you can use our tech to do that in, in like five lines of code. Wow. That's incredible. And so, um, I know that you said that you, I'm going back and forth of Chris because that's my brain, but so you said that you um, met Chris DeVore and then what made you decide, like that was obviously contingent on like moving out here and being part of the Seattle Techstars community, correct? Yeah. And how did all that go for you? Like, was that a big kind of um, shift emotionally to be away from your family in a whole new environment? I definitely miss Atlanta sometimes. The food can be much better. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, you know, I, I would say like the culture of the environment there can be like super fun too in like the inner city, but like, you know, I wouldn't be going to any parties last year. Yeah. Um, but um, it was, you know, for me, it was pretty easy. Like, right. I remember, you know, we got in into Techstars around November, um, packed up my apartment by end of December, December 30th, you know, I went to a New Year's Eve party and then, um, yeah, no, December 31st, went to a New Year's Eve party and then, uh, you know, on New Year's Day, I flew out to Seattle. Oh, wow. And so, so you like it here? You like Seattle? Yeah, it's good. I, uh, so, you know, I've always wondered where I was going to put down my roots and sort of like stay for a long time. So I bought a house here last year because I'm this place has been good. I've loved it. Like it's a city that I can see myself really growing into more over the next sort of like decade. And um, yeah. I want to play a more influential part in, in its shaping because it's a city that can needs love. Yeah, it does need love, especially right now, for sure. Um, and so tell me about the name of Rainway. I love the name. Like uh, for some reason, I'm very drawn to it. How'd you come up with that name? So um, we have no clue. It's, <laughs> <laughs> we, don't, we don't know how we got it. I remember... So I have always picked the names for all my products and like like startups. 
Um, and my co-founder, you know, went, you've named the what your last two after like Latin root words, and they sound really funny if you look at them and read them the wrong way. And he's like, I don't really want us to do that. So I'm going to pick it. I went, fine, you, you pick it. And so he comes back like an hour later and he's like, oh, this is a Swahili word for stream, but I've like changed two of the letters. And I'm like, great. Perfect, love it, rain, way, stream, cool, beautiful. Register like our, our, our Delaware C Corp, like do all the paperwork. And then I asked him to send me a link to where he got the definition. And he's like, oh, I can't find it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, That's so, so funny. I'm pretty sure he just made it up. <laughs> That's so funny. And so how did you go about, did you guys just bootstrap from day one? Yeah, I, I um. so what I did was I used, I, I did a, basically one big licensing deal for our last startup before that we were working on the, the, the enterprise one, I did a licensing deal. And then I took all the money from that licensing deal. And I just like paid um, myself and my co-founder out of pocket and our first two employees out of pocket um, until we got into Techstars. Yeah. And how long is the program for Techstars for people who don't know about the program? Three months. It's three months. And then what does it come? Like, what do you get from it? Uh, you get 20,000, um, and then there's an optional $100,000 convertible note. They take 6% um, overall. Um, and then, you know, you get a lot. I feel, I feel like for me, Techstars didn't give sort of the things that my, that my business needed because like, I think, you know, for the Seattle program, it's definitely more focused on sort of like SaaS companies. And um, it, there really wasn't sort of like a lot of education to be had from a, like a consumer gaming standpoint. We got mm -hmm. some really great mentors from Techstars that like, or just have been invaluable. And, you know, I've loved having them on my team, but the thing that was most important that we got from Techstars was just the friends that we made sort yeah. of like from our cohort and along the way, um, yeah. like the people that I need to call when I, when I, when I want to cry or like, I need like a couch to sort of like vent to the world on are my like, sure. tech stars, like alumni friends. Yeah. Well, it's like-minded people who are, who are understanding what you're going through. So that yeah. totally makes sense. So tell me about the business model. How does Rainway make money? Yeah. So this app services platform that we started to build already has a few large enterprise customers. A lot of them are companies as well. We're using our technology to build sort of like the next generation of entertainment and, um, and um, like software distribution. So, you know, you know, we have like billion dollar companies using our technology to build cloud gaming services and being a little cagey because were, we were supposed to announce it last week, but now we gotta wait until they're ready to announce it next month. Oh man, I wish we had timed it. I'm dying for you to tell us a little more and then we can put it, well, whatever, we'll figure it out. Yeah. I can't wait to hear about it. I'm gonna be tracking. Um, and so you've started to build your team. I looked, you've got a, a cool team, really amazing uh, employees. How, what was your approach to recruiting? How have you gone about finding people? Uh, I have a very interesting recruiting strategy, uh, which is I will just like go on Twitter or I'll go on GitHub and I'll look for people that are doing things because they think it's cool or a little interesting. Um, I'm not one of those folks that believes that like, oh, if you want to be a successful software engineer, you have to program outside of work hours because it's like, really? Because like, I'm pretty sure you only get like five hours a day to yourself. And like, if you don't want to spend that coding, I think that's fine. But there are a lot of folks that I'll like find on Twitter who um, will like, you know, one of one of my hires uh, that, you know, went from being a junior to a principal in three years, I found her because she made a little sorting algorithm that would only sort if you were looking at it, right? And so the second you looked away, it would stop. And it was like a play on the joke that, you know, computer software works only until you look away. 
Um, and I was like, that's really cute. And it's like a really fun idea. And I messaged her and I'm like, hi, do you want to leave school and come work for me? <laughs> and she said, yes. And so it's like, really. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Sometimes you just got to shoot your shot. And like, I've been surprised at the number of people I've been able to convince to drop out of school. I'm definitely a bad influence on sort of the academic system. I guess that's why the tail fellowship vibe with me. Um, but yeah. yeah, my recruiting strategy is usually to find people building really interesting things. And then I just ask them like, do you want to get paid to build interesting things? Exactly. Tell me about the Teal Fellowship. Oh, it was a fun time. Um, you know, didn't expect to get it. Got a call. It, that's, so that's something. Tell me, like, you someone says, "Hey, apply to this." They approach you. You hear about it. Like, tell me how the yeah, whole so, thing works. So, so generally, it's like you apply, and um, you know, you have to be under twenty three. But like, if you get in, you know, you have to drop out of school. Something I was already out of, um, and you get a hundred thousand dollar grant. So it's, you know, tax-free basically um, to do whatever you want to do, like work on your stuff or like, you know, discover your next idea. Like, but, you know, here's $100,000 that you get over the course of two years. Um, I didn't apply. I got a call like two days before a demo day at Techstars from someone claiming to be from the Teal Fellowship. I'm like, okay, how'd you get my number? <laughs> and she what? was just like, we're having, we're having a summit. Do you want to come down to San Francisco? And like, I'm like, well, I got to go down there to fundraise right after this anyway. So like, yeah, sure, I'll come down. They paid for my flight and they paid for my hotel. I got there. I'm like, this still feels like a scam. Like, I feel like someone's going to cut out my kidney here in a second and like, like sell me down the river. Um, but no, it ended up being a really, really fun time. And I met so many incredibly smart people, like just kids. Cause like, I'm like, I was the oldest person in the room at the time. Like, believe it or not, I'm 25 now. So I got the Till Fellowship right before I turned 23. Um, and like everyone else in the room was like, you know, 16 to 18 years old. So I'm the oldest person there. Um, I was like, I'm not going to get this. These kids were like putting rockets into space and like cleaning up space debris and curing cancer. But I ended up getting it. It was really, like a really fun opportunity. I remember one of my friends, Andre, that also got it, um, that I met from the program. He was like, he was like, I knew you were going to get it because I remember waking up in the hotel and seeing you at 6 a.m. in your boxers just programming away, <laughs> trying to solve a problem before eight. <laughs> That's so funny. And so do they have like a whole like awards thing or like what is what is the actual award of getting it? Uh, I mean, the, the reward of getting it is, just, I guess, like, as the kids would say, clout. Like, everyone, yeah. will, oh, everyone sure. wants it because it's like, it's the Tail Fellowship. It's just exclusive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it is, and it, it, it is, I guess, exclusive in the sense that they only give out um, 20 of them every, like, other year. And so... Wow. Yeah. And that, you know, also for who doesn't want tax free money? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, for sure. And so you kind of described like what makes somebody a good fit and your um, recruiting strategy around finding people that are kind of thinking differently and putting themselves out there. What about for the non engineer hires? Like, you know, how do you, how do you assess and look for uh, product and, you know, accounting and marketing sales? So product is something, you know, that, I, I would say I have the best like fit for. I want people on my team for product who just like heavy disagree with me on a lot of things, right? I want them to basically like push back and fight. If I say something, I want them to like be able to come up with like a billion different ideas or like have one good idea they're really, really passionate about. Um, and that's exactly how I got my COO, right? She started as a design intern, but met by 
like pure chance because like some other Techstars founder like dropped out of something. I ended up like taking their place and then got her as an intern. And like from her first like week there, I remember her like coming up to me and being like, hey, this thing that you said you want to do, bad. Like, let's do this instead. And it's, I like that. And like of course. Over, over the next like four years, like she, you know, really grew into her role and ended up becoming CEO this year because I was just like, I literally can't imagine this company without you. Right. And like you like you basically are like my rock. So like I promoted her. But then outside of products, arguably still learning. Um yeah. marketing and sales and you know those sort of like pipelines are just something that my brain and like my specialties are not tuned for um and so like that's why i'm very lucky to have a lot of good advisors yeah well they're all such important hires and i i think it's i don't think you can really go wrong because you you have an idea and you're just gonna like like lean into that around the types of people and not being too rigid around what you won't look at it sounds like it's a little bit more around someone's kind of DNA more than their background. Yeah. I mean, I, I won't, I would want people to evaluate me the same um, because yeah. like my resume is, you know, I don't think, I can't remember the last time I wrote a resume, but would really just be like a, like a year of high school and a yeah. couple of random projects. Well, I think you're selling yourself a little short there, but I, I hear what you're saying. So um, did you go about the standard kind of like setting values and mission for the company? Um, yeah, I, to, to a degree, I, I really like to have sort of like everyone on the team on the same page. So I try to write internal blogs that I, I share, you know, these are just things like, you know, me rambling about my thoughts about like our market and like, how, how is that like, you know, our space changing um, to then just really actually getting into sort of like, you know, culture around like, you know, how, are we, how do we, should we be treating each other? Like, you know, what is our insight? How do we want to like leave the world in, like when, you know, in like the next five years. And so I write that because like, I, I find that, you know, a lot of the folks on my team really like having that insight, you know, and it saves a lot of meetings. <laughs> well, it saves a lot of meetings. And it's also just says a lot about the type of um, vibe that you want within the company. And, and it'll also help you with recruiting because people will see that. If like, like you said, I think you said the word thoughtful or kind or something. If people are treating each other that way, you can feel that through yeah. interviews. You can feel that. And also like happy employees make uh, make people happier on the outside. Like your clients, your customers Absolutely. will be much happier because they'll, they'll, they give that energy off. So that totally makes sense. So have you, have you formalized it? Like here's our values? Um they have to change. I mean, like, I don't, I don't think they should ever sort of be like fixed. And so like, I'm actually going through the process now of sort of like revamping them because like the company that Rainway was a year ago is a completely different company than it is today. Right. And like mm-hmm. that, that, that just has to be fluid and dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing that really helps me with like building my company culture is I don't try to like set this idea that anyone working at my company is going to be here next year. Right. I've always viewed that if I hire someone that's incredibly talented, the last thing I want them to do is work for me forever. I want my working here to be sort of a launch pad to the rest of their career or just to the next stage of like life they want to get to. And if I can help them get there, then I've done my job as like a CEO and as a founder. And a oh leader. my God, that's incredible. You're better than me. I'm like, you can never leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, and, and so, that's amazing. Yeah. That's and so awesome. in, in doing that, it helps me shape a company culture where, you know, people end up liking it and they end up staying. Yeah, of course, because you're they're getting what they need and the career development is there, the mentorship the leadership, all of it. Yeah. So how much money has uh, Rainway raised so far? Uh, I remember 5 million. (laughs) 5 million. And so your series A? Uh, We are still 
that so the last round we were was 3.5 that was a series seed plus um yeah <laughs> and uh we're getting ready to do a series a probably at some point this year yeah well that's so exciting and um what are the goals for the business over the coming few years as far as like how will you measure your success yeah, I mean, there's like, you know, one of the benefits of moving to be a sort of a SaaS company is that one of the measures of success is how much money are we bringing in. So, you know, we want to take our, we want to double our revenue, um, our annual revenue. And that's um, mm-hmm. something that we, you know, hopefully we'll actually do in the next, like, next two months, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and so, like, that's going to be really exciting, doubling everything that we made last year in just two months. Oh, yeah. From like an actual sort of like impact, um, like milestone though, we would like to have our software in the hands of at least, you know, a hundred million customers by the end of this year. And, and how many hands are, is your software in now? It probably reaches around 30 to 40. And so it's not, it's, it's a modest goal. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's awesome. And so you took, you said you raised, um, I think you said 5 million. So who did you raise it from and how do you make those decisions along the way? And, and also... We talked about, um, you know, being a black founder. Does it feel different? Or is, I know there's statistically, you kind of have, um, I guess, defied all the odds in this, your whole personal story. So I'm curious if you're consistent there with the fundraising part. Like, did you feel um, like you had a, a level playing field? Yeah, we raised from our seed round. I remember our seed round was awful, right? This is my first time fundraising. This is my first time ever trying to get the capital markets to give me to give me money. I remember being told by one VC. Um, sorry, I wasn't even, I wasn't even told. I asked someone at TechStars to make a very warm intro. It was the VC they had a very good relationship with. Um, because their fund looked like it would be a good fit for what we were doing, and they just replied, "I don't believe you built that." And I just, re- I, just re- what? I just remember, yeah, like even even the um, program manager was just sort of like, "What?" Like, and oh like, my gosh, it was, it was, it was, just, it was head scratching, but it wouldn't be the last time that sort of like thought ran through a VC's mind in a room. Like I had to, I had people that would look at my co-founder the entire meeting because they were like, oh, clearly they're the ones that built this, right? Like it couldn't have been me like actually writing all of this, like, you know, algorithms and like programming and, and, and math across the walls in my apartment. Um, and that was incredibly frustrating. And yeah. it was, I've heard this story so many times from women founders um, that they bring in their COO or something who's a male and they literally get like ignored the whole time or um, treated almost like, hey, can you go get me a cup of coffee? Like, And sometimes that's definitely how I felt. Like, why are you even here? And then, you know, other times it was just, I guess, standard VC stuff where clearly these people should not have this job. (laughs) Like, There were times where I was like, this person shouldn't be a VC. They're Um, just mean. And they half of them also have never operated or built anything. Yeah, that's, that was the thing. I don't think it was that they were mean. I think that was just like 99% of these VCs that I had spoken to never operated. And I'm like, how can you make any sort of like, like you can't reach any sort of conclusions about like how to operate this business because you the only thing you did was graduate from like Stanford, right? right? And so like, that, that, that was just sort of like a disconnect. I guess I was expecting to meet more operators. But like, yeah, I definitely feel that fundraising was more difficult than it needed to be because a lot of people just like saw me yeah. and were like, you're an outlier, you shouldn't be here. And like, why would we trust you with like a bunch of money? And then they'll go throw, you know, 50, $60 million into a dead company. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's several companies that I know that there's a lot that have been popping up or at least getting highlighted more now that are specifically, um, you know, investing in BIPOC leaders and just, you know, making that a priority. Yeah. And I, and I love it. And like, I already made myself the commitment that for our next round, 
um, you know, I'm going to actually go out and just pursue getting more black feces in like for the round and letting them take That's up. Awesome. Because it's like, why continue to sort of like feed the, feed the people that aren't even giving back to us. Like yes. I look at like A16Z is like a, like a, a huge example of this. Where yes. Clubhouse is huge. It's incredibly popular now and it's worth a lot, a lot of money because of black people, but yeah. like the amount of capital they, they invest back into black founders is negligible. Yeah, it's un- it's totally unacceptable. I completely yeah. agree. So you ended up raising, and um, I'm assuming those people have some sort of board seat. The investors. Yeah. So we have we we have we've raised only two rounds, and the you know we have you know Go Ahead Ventures and SF. We have Madrona here in Seattle, um, and Bullpen Capital in the Bay Area, and so that's basically our our whole like company structure. Mm-hmm. Um, only our seed investor has an actual board seat. Everyone else is just observers, but like it, it works out pretty well for us because we get a lot of valuable feedback and input. Mm-hmm. And is that helpful? To, I mean, it sounds like it is helpful to you because some people are like, especially with your background being like, I've not really had that like reporting structure and that feeling of like, I got to report in. Um, you, you've got to choose right. You've got to have people that have your back and can have can be that midnight call that's like, oh my God, the shit's hitting the fan. Yeah. Versus absolutely. like, hey, I have to like put out this incredible spreadsheet every board meeting that we're just crushing it yeah like we're never it, we're never going to just have good days right and so like I the, I the people I went around the table the ones I want to have the most vulnerable conversation with are the ones like my current investors right we they have seen us now through ups and downs um and been incredibly supportive and I I appreciate them until the end of time and so knowing they're in my corner gives me a lot of confidence because that sort of accountability as well sort of it's accountability because you know I have to report to them but yeah. also you know knowing that they have my back and they're going to support my decisions yeah um, that means a lot just like oh on a personal level. Of course. Yeah. And you need that. I mean, we all need to surround ourselves with people who have our backs, especially when they're advising us, um, you know, during the good and the bad. So a couple of years in, I know that I read in your intro that you got the Forbes 30 under 30 that we were talking about. I want the 50 under 50. (laughs) I've got like nine more months, maybe 50 this year. Um, What did that award mean to you as far as did that propel you or is it more just like a prestige thing, give you more visibility? Yeah. I mean, I think that like, it's definitely a vanity thing. I don't, <laughs> it's really cool to have it. Um, and just like no one in my family has ever gotten anything like that. So I just remember my co-founder's mom made these really like cool frames for us to like, just like acknowledge it. And then like, we sent some to like my mom and like gave them the magazine that were featured in on like page, like I don't know, 15. And it was just like, I may not even be on the cover, but like for my family, it was like, I might as well have been on the cover. Oh, it's a huge deal. Are you kidding? Of yeah. course. Your parents must be so proud of you. Do they get the whole, the concept of like where you are relative to, it's not just relative to where you come from. It's relative to where everyone comes from. Like you're, you're yeah. doing great. I think for the longest time, my parents probably just thought I was actually a computer hacker. <laughs> like when I said I was making money, they were like, when's the FBI going to come knock on our door? Um, I think it became real for them when it was like, oh, wow, there's like news articles and there's like, he's being written about and they oh and like oh they're actually raising money now that's when it all started to click that yeah taking my hobby and turning into into a career yeah and if I guess a couple questions one at what point will you say like I feel super successful is that today or is there a north star of some sort and if that's the case is it measured by of course everybody wants the comfort and security of money um if and when that happens like some sort of exit or some sort of something what will you do with it? Yeah. Um, I, I think that one of the unspoken problems of being a black founder is that there's a black tax, which is, you know, 
as a black founder, because you're probably the most successful person in your family, it also means that you end up having to take care of your family. So I, th I think even after an accident, I probably end up just like paying off my like family members' debts and like helping them get like stable housing and um, you know supporting them so that they can have a stable life because that's the thing that's going to be most important at the end of the day for me. Per success, if I value base it on monetary gain, just like isn't really that good metric for me. And so for me, it's just about finding happiness, right? Mm -hmm. Can I get into a place where I can mentor and support the next generation of like? Uh, black founders can I get into a place where like I'm just sort of content and zen and um, I'm working on the things that I enjoy and I'm waking up every day and it's not sort of like oh here we go again got like back to the crime but like can't wait to see what we discover today um, if I can get to that place then I'll know I found success yeah I love that um, so the content and zen is not very common for people that are entrepreneurs it's like <laughs> it's, it's the it's that kind of underbelly of like not more from a financial standpoint, but of like, I'm not done. Like I need, I need to kind of keep going in some sort of endless, there's no North star that's like the yeah. end, you know? I think, I think I'll always want to be someone that's building. Yeah. Um, it, like, but what I build doesn't need to necessarily make a lot of money. So long as right. what I build is interesting and actually useful to the wider world. Yeah. Which is actually an interesting point because it may come to a point where Rainway grows and becomes kind of a well-oiled machine in a certain way where you're like, this isn't the phase of the business I'm actually enjoying anymore. Yeah. Like you may actually go, I'm bored. And now I need to go build something new and have some other CEO go run this thing. You know, you never know. Sometimes yeah, that happens. Rain or Rainway just becomes a huge conglomerate. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. So on a, on a personal level, like how do you set yourself up aside from trying to, you know, hack the sleep thing, um, you know, for a good day, a good week? Yeah. Um, start every morning, 7 a.m. with just like meditation, uh, trying to increase the size of the amygdala in my brain to like make it easier to sort of like handle when things get really, really hard. So I'll meditate until eight, um, work out and then- For an hour? Yeah. I, mean, I, I started meditating. It's been on my list for like 10 years. I'm like, finally during COVID I started, but I only do 10 minutes a day and it feels- Maybe an hour is a whole nother level. My friend said I should be doing an hour. That seems so indulgent. Oh my it, God. It, it's, it's really, the thing that really helped me was this like sort of depriving myself of distractions and senses. 7 a.m. is useful because it's still dark outside. It's fairly quiet. And so like I'll literally just sit in my closet with the lights off, pitch black, and just like listen to my breathing and follow it. And then it's get sucked into sort of like that mantra that's going through my head. But then 8 a.m. I, you know, work out. Then 10, around 10 a.m. I'll like finally make breakfast eat and yeah. I'll sit down all you know you know i try to avoid my electronics as long as possible i don't even sort of keep my phone in my bedroom when i go to bed um and then i sort of just get into the day at that point and then i try to make sure i always make time to stop and smell the roses and smelling the roses in this sort of like day and age is making time to go upstairs like pet my cat and play with him <laughs> and then come back downstairs and just and actually get back to work but i don't try to like sit in, at a desk and stare at it all day and then when work's done for the day it's done i go outside and i enjoy myself yeah, that's awesome. So the one hour, so breathing, following your breath, do you fall asleep ever? It's hard to tell at this point. <laughs> because like I, sometimes when I'm meditating, I fall asleep and then I'm, you know, and is it a guided meditation or you're just doing it on your own? I'm just doing it on my own. Um, it's, it's something that um, I learned in like behavioral uh, therapy, like just like being able to like find your like find your sense of self and like find your center when you're like feeling overwhelmed mm -hmm. um really helpful techniques and so like i don't i don't 
I can't do like the whole calm and like some voice like talking to me from like the ether <laughs> just like to close my eyes and like go, go into my head and like yeah it's actually pretty hard to tell sometimes if I'm asleep or if I'm I want to like, try really that I've only been it. doing the guided ones of the people coming in from the ether like I haven't done the just I don't know it, it almost gives me angst it shouldn't but maybe that's the whole point of why I need I, it. I think I think that for a lot of people, being alone with totally. your thoughts and total silence for that long is completely terrifying and justifiably so. If yeah. you can't empty your mind, the thing that's going to happen is you're going to start thinking about everything. Totally. <laughs> and then, like it's a spiral. Yeah. Maybe I'll go in my closet and turn the lights off. That's a good call. Hide from yeah. my whole family, the dog, everyone. Yeah. Um, and so those are kind of some of your rituals. And what about if you just want to go like, let it rip and have fun and let off some steam? Ooh, I will bake. Like it's like the next baking, like bake off. Like I will just start. That's so funny. I baked so much last <laughs> night and I can't eat it. Cause I'm like always trying to diet and I yeah. love baking. When I'm like, when, when I'm really looking to turn my brain off, if it's not meditating, it's baking. Cause like for an hour to two, I am just methodically focusing on like measuring ingredients and like stirring and making sure like I'm not whipping the whipped cream for too long. Um, And it's a very fun process. And the end result is I get to put it on the table and make someone really, really happy. And then that just makes my day. Yeah. And so you, what do you like to bake? Uh, So the thing that like I might like go to treat is, is very simple. It is literally just like a pound cake. Oh, jeez, I yum. I love a pound cake. Where I really like to, like, like give it extra flavor is I make homemade whipped cream, and I put vanilla beans in it, and then I'll make a strawberry extract, and I'll layer it on top, and then, like, that's my go-to easy, like, here you go, like, to make you feel better gift. And you don't eat it yourself? Uh, oh, no, I always eat the pound cake. Oh, my God, I love, I <laughs> love I, I always sugar. Need to make sure. I always need to make sure I purposely give most of it away. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. Oh, my gosh, totally. So do you bring it into the team when you're working uh, in person? Uh, we haven't. I have not seen most of my team in over a year, which is really sad. We were supposed yeah. to go on a hike, sort of a social distance team building exercise, but the weather where we wanted to go hiking was just too yeah. awful. So we it can, It's going to turn soon. I think you'll start to be able to meet up in a park or... It, you know, yeah. the weather's starting to, I feel it. Everyone's like, someone, someone said it was like, happy spring. I'm like, it's February, but I guess we can start to say happy spring. Seattle lights are just like ready to put on our sunglasses. Yeah. I, I'll bring it to like my neighbors for now. Like yeah. I remember on, on New Year's and Valentine's day, I baked at all my neighbors, like treats and brought them to oh, them. That's so like, nice. They were stuck inside. I wanted to like surprise them with something nice. Oh my God. You're so sweet. I love it. Um, so your killer, your killer weekend, um, slash kind of social not just letting it rip like letting off some steam but if you had to plan a weekend with friends would you go skiing would you go to the beach would you go to a concert would you go to a festival like how would you spend your time oh my favorite thing to do like to have a killer weekend is to go get into the woods with no cell phone reception (laughs) and like just get either like either you know and that because that experience can be however you want it to be right you can go up to like you know you know the Ross Lake where you have no cell phone reception and you can choose to party with your friends and get drunk in the woods. You can choose to like gaze under the stars and have like a spiritual experience. Um, or you can just like go hiking and torture yourself. Like yeah. whatever you want, <laughs> like being out in the middle of nowhere allows you to do. <laughs> yeah. You're the perfect guy for Seattle. Look at you. Your dream getaway is to go in the woods. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Welcome to Seattle. There's all sorts of woods everywhere yeah. you look, the green, green, green. Um, okay. So Andrew, my final question is what I ask everyone, um, is what fuels you? Like what's your kind of legacy? What gets you out of bed in the morning? 
I think for me, it's, it really just comes down to, I want to give nine-year-old me wondering why no one that, you know, was successful in tech and was building things looked like them. I want to give that, that next generation of kids someone to look up to. And I want to not just give them someone to look up to, but I want to like sort of roll down the ladder and be like, come on up. Like if you need, if you want to build too, like I'm here to help, right? That's where I want to get because there's just not a lot of that for um, black kids in America. And so like, if I, if I can make it, then I can help them make it. Yeah. Well, I think you're setting the tone for all kids. Of course, we need it for black kids, but I want my kids to listen. I'm like, can you please be more like Andrew? I'm like, I'll have done my job if my kids turn out yeah. like you. Like, seriously, you're really inspiring, not just in your talents and what you built, but just your overall spirit is just um, incredible. Like, we need more of you. So thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. Thank you.